Hello everyone, a quick heads up before we get started with this episode. We will very soon be changing the name of this podcast from the fifth edition to Strategic Whole Life. And don't worry, the topic of our podcast is not changing. We're fully committed to the infinite banking concept and helping people understand how it works. So keep an eye out when you see the new name pop up in your feed. It's still us. And we're looking forward to doing many, many more episodes with you. Thanks. And now let's get on with the episode. Episode 83, how to become an IBC practitioner. Hello, everyone. I've got a special guest for us today. He is Doug McKenzie, a a new IBC practitioner. And I wanted to bring him on to share a little bit about himself, his background, his story, and why he wanted to become an IBC practitioner. And for those of you uh, interested in becoming an IBC practitioner, I think this will be a great episode because I'm going to ask Doug to share a little bit about what the process is like. That way, everyone listening has a little bit more familiarity on how you could possibly become an IBC practitioner yourself. Doug, let's jump into it. Tell us a little bit about your backstory, where you're from, maybe your work background, and what piqued your interest in IBC. Sure. Thanks for having me, by the way. I'm a longtime listener of your show, so this is a great treat to be on here. I am in New Hampshire, so fully on the other side of the country from you. And I. My, my work background is in the last decade or so is primarily in sales and in the chemical industry. So quite literally no relation to infinite banking, but I've always had an interest in finances. Going back into my mid to late 20s, I got into reading about how I should be investing and saving for retirement and all those types of things. And I would consider myself to be pretty well versed in the traditional financial realm. So I was maxing out my 401k, maxing out my Roth IRA, putting money in the taxable brokerage. And I was watching my net worth go up uh, and it was pretty exciting. And I thought that I had it all figured out. It was funny though. I remember I would have these conversations with my wife and I'd tell her, Hey, our net worth reached this amount. And she's that's cool, but we, we can't use it and it could go down or it could go up. And I'd say, yeah, but that's, that's just how it works. And I didn't know anything else besides that. That's what my parents do. That's what all my friends do. And I've thought back, I think we've talked about this before, John, but I had heard about the infinite banking concept, probably going back even as far as five years. And as I'm sure whole life insurance doesn't typically get a good rap. And so I remember hearing about it in some Facebook group or a forum. I looked to see a little bit further about what it was, saw that it involved a chassis of whole life insurance and just figured it was a scam and I ignored it. And and then going back last year, it popped up again somewhere on, on a forum or a group. And I decided to look into it a little bit more and for whatever reason, I, I I wound up getting linked up to the Lara Murphy report put out by the Nelson Nash Institute, and then found your podcast actually. So the Lara Murphy report and Fifth Edition were the two two podcasts that I was really listening to there in the beginning, and I started to try to read anything that I could get my hands on, and it just started to make a lot of sense. 
Yeah. And I, I really have to applaud you because you have a voracious appetite for new knowledge. And that was one of the things that really impressed me about you when you came in through the podcast was your curiosity and your willingness to learn everything about infinite banking. So it was actually no surprise that you wanted to head in this direction. I'm curious though, what were some myths and maybe misconceptions that you had to overcome? You mentioned whole life is not really the conventional way that people go about organizing their finances. What did you have to overcome when it in regards to IBC and whole life? The hardest thing for me to overcome at first, quite honestly, was that nobody else was doing it that I knew. That was the most, that was the thing that was really difficult for me because I had this nagging feeling for quite a while that I really had to have been missing something that everyone else understood. But then I quickly came to find that just nobody understood what whole life insurance was or how it could be utilized. And it was really as simple as that. Um, and, and then I had to think about it differently. I, I had to get out of that mind frame of risk and investing and rates of return and all of that to understand that this is not, it's not a, a true comparison comparing what I'm going to put into my 401k versus my whole life policy to practice infinite banking. I remember one of the first conversations I had with my wife, once I figured it out, we went on a walk and I was all excited. And I'm like, listen, you got to understand, like we can save money in this thing and we can use it. And it still compounds. And it was, it was just moving past this, I had a lot of mental blocks around what I thought I knew, and I had to set those aside. Yeah, um, I, I think we all do. And and that that's part of the arrival syndrome that yeah. Nelson mentions in his book, right? Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, uh, what do you think IBC helped you solve in your own life, whether personally just for you or, or for your family? What, what does IBC solve for you that um, you couldn't get someplace else? Sure. One, I would say the most important thing that uh, in implementing IBC in our family's life has done is just peace of mind. I would have to say that's the number one thing. I really value that. I don't check the balances on my whole life policies. I don't worry about what's going on with them. They're just there. It's slow and steady. I know that I have access to capital when I need it, which is just it's hard to quantify the value from that. But I went from, because I, I we were living comfortably, but I didn't have a lot of free cash lying around. It was all going into these accounts that I then just, I'm 36, so I couldn't touch them for until I'm 59 and a half. So quite a long time. And there's a lot of lost opportunity costs there and just wondering what's going to happen down the road. So it, it's returned a lot of control into my life and also this it's alleviated a lot of the worrying I had about finances. And it's come in use uh, quite a few times now. My wife switched jobs earlier in the year, and it allowed us to make that transition without worry, knowing that, that she was unhappy at her previous job. So she was able to leave that a little bit earlier than she might have wanted to. We had access to cash, and we knew that we had that. Even when I started up this new business as, as a practitioner, there were costs associated with that. I didn't have to worry about that. That for me is the most important thing that it's done. Yeah. I, I think in, especially here in America, we're, we're stuck on one definition of financial freedom. 
which is to have enough money really so that we don't have to worry about money anymore in, in retirement tends to be the main way that I found that people define financial freedom, but th- th- there's another definition that I like to share with people, and that, that's the freedom to make choices that can mm-hmm. better your life now so you're not stuck. And what you're describing, the control and, and, and the freedom to, to make those choices that, that um, improves the quality of life for you and your family, um, you're right. You can't quantify that. You can't put a value on that. And that's an aspect of financial freedom that I I think people tend to lose when they go the conventional way of building out a financial plan through a government qualified account like a 401k and IRA and buying a term policy that they know is going to eventually lapse or the term is going to expire because they're going to outlive it. And you, you have all these conventional ways of thinking that end up putting you in a box and you just don't have the control, freedom, and to to your first point, you don't have the peace of mind knowing that you're going to be able to just handle whatever comes your way. So I appreciate you sharing all that because that, that's very, I think that's very impactful for everyone to to understand that IBC does so much more than people realize. So. Let's let's talk a little bit about what prompted you to become an IBC practitioner because that that's a interesting twist. I know I I have a lot of people that reach out to me and and say that they're interested and what's the process to become an IBC practitioner and some are on the fence about joining the Nelson Nash Institute for their own reasons. So I'm just curious, first, what prompted you to become an IBC practitioner? It was earlier last year, and I actually had some some health issues going on, and I had some time on my hands. I'm normally a pretty active guy. And so I was sitting there, and I just... I come from a background of sales. I do like working with people. I, I like finding solutions to problems. And I was very excited about infinite banking, this discovery that I had made. And I I just thought to myself, man, why couldn't I also do this as a practitioner? It was really as simple as that. So I I reached out uh, to some people to find out what that process entailed. And because really what I do in my history of chemical sales, I have customers that I have good relationships with and all these types of things. But Am I very passionate about selling chemicals? Am I really making a huge difference in anybody's life? Probably not. I'm helping out companies, but am I making a difference on a personal level? Not really. And it was very interesting to me that I could potentially do something that I knew could radically alter the outcome of people's lives. And when you start to look at infinite banking in that way, it it is it has this ripple effect that's incredibly powerful. And that peace of mind that you talked about can be passed down through generations so that people can get out of that working until you hopefully make it to that age. And then, because to go back to that, by the way, I I thought what you said was great. There's a book that I really like called Die With Zero. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but he argues that the time value of time when you're younger is much higher than when you're older, because of course you might not make it till you're older, but you can also do much more when you're younger. We have a policy on 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 my son, and that's going to allow him to do things when he's my age or younger, more freedom than I definitely had with that, because it's going to be a substantial amount of money at that point. 
the idea that I could work with people and make that kind of difference in their lives and their kids' lives and their grandkids' lives was very appealing. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Tell us about the process of the of becoming an IBC practitioner. There, there's a new mentorship program that I believe you, you took part of, if not still participating in. So may, maybe you can share a little bit about the program and what's involved for the audience. Sure. First, other than getting licensed to sell insurance in your own state, which I did, there's an educational process through the Nelson Nash Institute itself. So that involves going through a rather lengthy course, taking that exam, meeting with the board at the Nelson Nash Institute to get vetted, because obviously they're trying to ensure that anybody out there that's affiliated with the Nelson Nash Institute is going to be doing things in accordance with how they want them to be done. And the mentorship program is is great. I am linked up with a guy named John in New Hampshire. He's maybe 30 minutes from me. And he essentially works with me on new cases and helps me out with his experience. And I have to say, I, I don't, I can't really picture doing this without having had that aspect of a mentor kind of guiding me through. Because when you're dealing with writing policies for people, everybody's situations are very different. There's no one size fits all solution. So it's been very eye-opening for me to to have that gentleman's experience aiding me through that process. Yeah, you just don't know what you don't know. So having the ability to lean on someone who has the experience and can guide you through best practice, best practices for you. And of course, you can take those best practices and then make them your own in your own way, I, I, I think is invaluable. Um, for, for those that are interested in becoming an IBC practitioner, I, I think for me, if I were to be brand new again, and by the way, I didn't have a mentor. I came in and had to learn everything on my own. And it was such a painful experience. Mm. Um, it, it took me probably three years to get a thriving practice going and the financial hardship that I had to go through to become successful in my own practice. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I don't know if I've shared this in a prior episode, but uh, I, I am on my second marriage, but my first marriage, even though it, it ended very amicable, there was a financial aspect like there is in all divorces where I was completely 1099 and trying to earn an income in the Bay Area, raising three kids practically in diapers mm. and having having to go it alone really, it, it caused a lot of financial hardship to the point where my first wife actually said to me, you need to get a job. She basically gave me an ultimatum and uh, I, I had to choose between continuing with IBC or do it part-time or go get a 40-hour-a-week job someplace. And ultimately, I decided I was going to stick with IBC. I didn't want to give up on it. I, I was so passionate about it that I just basically bet on myself. And the, the end result of it, it wasn't completely because I went, I, I chose to do IBC full-time and say, damn the torpedoes, but it was the, the last straw, if you will. And so we ended up getting divorced and I plugged away with IBC and I don't know 
what the reasoning was, but it seemed like <laughs> rather quickly, once the divorce settled and it moved pretty quickly, we just had to wait for the state of California. But once everything transpired and the divorce went through, for whatever reason, my practice started to really blossom. But it was those three years of hardship and trying to figure things out. That's my main takeaway for, for people here. You can bypass that type of frustration and hardship. And it, if you've got a spouse, you're in it together, whether you realize it or not. And the impact that you have on people, you, you can, through the, the mentorship program, you can really accelerate the impact that you have in your family's life by speeding up that process, speed up the knowledge, the best practices that you can gain by working with a mentor. I can't stress enough that if you're thinking about going it alone, ask yourself why. If you can take a shorter path, do it. It's worth it. And I know there's a financial cost for the program. And to be an IBC practitioner, there's an annual cost. But to me, it's peanuts compared to the value that you get. And mm. especially for someone new, just you know, hearing what you're saying, Doug, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a podcast that you're now doing with John too, right? So you, correct. You, yeah. So you're speeding up, you're accelerating the experience, your knowledge base, your best practices to do that on your own. It's a loaded question, but do, do you think you would have been able to get as far as you have on your own? No, absolutely not. I wouldn't have even done it if this was a, wasn't a possibility. I'm in some other Facebook groups and stuff like that for infinite banking. And there's a lot of people, it's an attractive concept once you get it. So there's a lot of people that like to use that as part of their business, but they're not associated with the NNI. And a lot of them have no clue what they're talking about. And I didn't want to be one of those people. I had no knowledge of the insurance industry or how to navigate anything. I just would have, like you said, in your experience, it would have been really tough. I have a four-year-old. I just... I wanted a little bit more security around that. And I'm very happy that I chose this path. I also think that the cost is pretty negligible to be associated with the really, truly pretty negligible in the grand it scheme is. of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's my reputation. And it, truly, if it, my goal here is to build a lifelong practice, as you've done, I want it to be on a solid footing. And so if I have clients that I'd like to be lifelong clients, I want to make sure that I'm providing them with the best possible solution. And how am I supposed to do that if I don't know what that is? Yeah, absolutely. And I like to think that we stand on the shoulders of giants and in the IBC space, there, there is no bigger giant than Nelson Nash. And mm. so for me, being able to be part of the, the community and to stand on his shoulders, for me, it, it's about doing him honor and the gratitude I have, because even though my life did take that fork in the road, my life is better because of IBC personally and professionally. And I owe that all to Nelson Nash and to share everything that I've learned to me personally, I know everyone's different and they have their own reasons, whether they're involved with the Nelson Nash Institute as a practitioner. But for me, my my dad always said, follow your heart. And I, I, my dad's not around, but I take his life lessons to heart. And for me, 
can't put a price on the thought leaders and the people who impact your life. The way that Nelson did for me, it's an honor to be able to share IBC with others and to say that I'm part of the Nelson Nash Institute. I am an mm -hmm. IBC practitioner. That, that's something that I, for the rest of my life, just there, there's so much pride there. I, I can't quantify it, but for those listening and those interested in becoming an IBC practitioner, there's something to be said. It's, it's authentic. It's genuine. What IBC, Infinite Banking, the impact that it has in your life, to be able to walk your own talk and share your own stories and to be able to say, I'm part of this group. You can go look me up. I'm verified. I think that adds the authenticity that people want. And it just, it, it's for me, it, it's just an incredible feeling to know that I am standing on his shoulders and we're, you mentioned this, we're, we're having an impact and it's not just in the current generation, but it is multi-generational. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's why I'm part of this group and why I want to continue to be part of this group for as long as I'm around. All that said, Doug, I want to transition just a little bit because now that you're talking to people and sharing the message of what IBC can do, I was hoping that maybe you could share with people some of the stumbling blocks that you've come across now as an IBC practitioner, because maybe it's the same hangup or hangups that other people, listeners are having. What have you found in your experience now in your new role? Yeah. The biggest one that I've seen so far that's come up the most consistently is having them understand that paying policy premium is saving. I have had many people that have a very difficult time understanding that. They'll say they understand it, but then based on conversations we have, they don't understand it. They view it as an expense um, and almost expect this rate of return that, you know, it's so it's like a confusion between a savings vehicle and an investment, but really, truly this idea that paying premium is saving, that they're not losing that money, that it's not an expense, it's not going anywhere. So that's something that I've been working on quite a bit lately with a few clients, actually. I had a conversation yesterday with, with a gentleman who's a IBC producer and he had a great line. Uh, he's 60 years old and he was talking about the privilege of paying premium into mm -hmm. your old age. And I love the way that he put it. I, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way as a privilege, but it, it absolutely is because we, we all have choices. When, when a person retires, they could potentially stop contributing premium to their policies, right? There, there's a mechanism where you can pay up a policy permanently or even temporarily. And the thought process, I think that people need to at least think about in this example, if you're fortunate enough to retire and have the option to continue paying premium, think of the impact on where your money is directed. Because if you stop paying premium, but you still have the ability to save even in retirement, where is that money um, go going to provide more economic value for you? In someone else's bank or in your own IBC bank. And when people frame it that way or have it framed to them, it really is a privilege because if you don't have that ability to continue paying premium into your 
you know, older, as you get older, you basically go back to relying on the fractional reserve banking system where you're not going to get as much economic value as you would within your whole life policies. Paying, paying premium, you're right. It's number one, it's really not an expense. Once you get to that stage in life where you've fully capitalized, you have a mature policy. Now it's just all the ec extra value that you get. And it absolutely is a privilege. So yeah, that, that's a wonderful share, Doug. Any other tips on how people can get past thinking of whole life or IBC in a conventional way? Maybe sure. they're on the cusp of getting started, but from your own experience. Yeah, I would say that my, my tip and one that I have to give to myself sometimes is that it, you can't think of a whole life policy as an investment vehicle. It's also not, doesn't make any sense to compare it to one. And I often overlook the benefits that having that redu reduced risk profile gives me. Most people, when I start working with them, if you look at what they have for financial assets, it's extremely risky, extremely volatile. It's some cash, a lot of stocks most of the time, and they have no stable asset base in their profile there. And it's really important, I think, to have that. And instead of maybe looking at some bonds there too, which really aren't all that stable, to understand that that this is something that's a completely different risk profile and asset class that is an extremely valuable contribution to one's overall financial portfolio, regardless of infinite banking. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Doug, I really want to thank you for joining us on the podcast, for sharing your experience in becoming an IBC practitioner and laying out the, the process. That way, people who are either longtime listeners of the show or new listeners, they, they understand that there is a process to becoming an IBC practitioner, that they can hear it firsthand from someone going through the process, just how it works. Where can people find you if they'd like to reach out and work with you? Sure. First, if you want to listen to our podcast, it's called the ABCs of IBC. Uh, and then you could reach out on my website. It's controlcapitalsolutions.com. And I'm also, as John said, I'm on the Nelson Nash website under New Hampshire. So you can find us both on there. <laughs> Doug, it's been a pleasure. I'm certainly grateful for you for being a listener of the show originally and reaching out. Like I said, your passion and the way that you just attack things. Uh, you have a thirst for knowledge, which I, I think really comes through. Even before we clicked record, uh, we we're talking about uh, some health-related items and hearing what you have to share. I mean, you you, you have um, expertise in a lot of different areas. I definitely always enjoy our conversations. And for yeah, anyone wanting to reach out and work with Doug, you now know how to find him. And everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, look forward to uh, having you come back next week for the next episode. All right, everybody. Thank you, Doug. Thank Thanks, you, everyone. John.